Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you're visiting this morning, we have been working through 1 Corinthians verse by verse since uh, September of last year, and we're almost done. I, I feel like a bad contractor. One more week, a few more thousand dollars, we'll be done. So, uh, it will be one more week. It won't be a few more thousand dollars, unless you feel moved to do that. We're going to read verse 15 to 18. And then we're going to pray and ask God for his help. Happy to be back, by the way. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, and I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to go. We visited my wife's family, as you hear in a second, and we had a wonderful time. And we have, in part, you to thank for that. Your consistent giving makes things like this possible. We try not to take it for granted. We're very grateful for what we uh, receive here, and I just want to let you know that. So, okay, verse 15, chapter 16, page 816 in the Church Bibles. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the servants of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men, in IV, it's actually the word people, such people, it's important, such people deserve recognition. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word this morning and um, grant us understanding of it. Let's, let's pray together. Well, Father, thank you for this given moment and we pray for the much needed help of the Holy Spirit in both speaking and in listening in order that we would all bow underneath the truth of your word and, and take our stand upon it. Because unless you do this, everything will be lost and the moment will be wasted. So since you brought us here purposely and since we understand in the right sense the, the magnitude of the moment, you're going to speak to us through your word as it is open and explained. Please make the book live in us to the praise of your glory and for the good of others and ourselves. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question. What is your household known for? On the street where you live or in the community where you are known, if people were asked that question about your household, about your family, what would they say? What would you be known for? I just spent two weeks in the household of my father and mother-in-law. Um, and as usual, they were absolutely terrific. They treated us with four-star care. Everything they had, they gladly shared with us. There was plenty of food, freshly cooked meals just waiting for you when you woke up. Uh, they even washed our clothes on occasion. They were accommodating to our schedule. They gave up their bedroom to Nicole and I. Nothing but kind words to say. Tremendously giving and just an absolute delight and an undeserved privilege, at least in my case, to be in their company. They were great. They were a lesson to me personally. And now you know that to me, that's what they're known for. Households have a look. Households have a feel. Households, if you would, have a smell. Households have a way about them. And households, by and large, are known for something. And here at the close of this letter, Paul, under God, determined to tell us about a particular household who had, verse 15b, if your Bible's open, who had devoted themselves to the service of the saints in the church in Corinth. This household, of course, had a name. It was the household of 
Stephanus. And for all time, listen carefully, for all time, this household, every time someone would open this chapter, they would be known for something. And this is what they'd be known for. They tied themselves exclusively to Christian service for the saints in the local church in Corinth. That's what they were known for. Now, hear that. A household. So at that time in that place, a household would have been a mom and a dad and kids and extended family and servants and even some guests, which I think is kind of cool about the ancient world. The households were like mini communities in a home. Nevertheless, as we said, this was a household which was tied exclusively to Christian service to the saints in the local church. Now, perhaps some people in our day might say, well, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do and see in the ancient world. So what else were they going to do? Right? And of course, you would ask that person to read their history books to find the flaws in that silly line of thinking. Or maybe some people will say, well, it probably was a young family. But, you know, we're not told their age, are we? Because that wouldn't even matter much. Or some people might say, uh, trying to make some kind of application in our day, well, what a complete waste of time. I mean, there is so much to see and there's so much to do in the modern world. Are you kidding me? I mean, they must have been reading the wrong material. Are they, you know what, they probably weren't a very awe-inspiring household because, you know, how can that kind of life, exclusive devotion to a local church, uh, be good for you? Be, be satisfying? I mean, I wouldn't tell anybody this, but that could get a bit boring. You know what, maybe, maybe they didn't have a whole lot of money, so they were just stuck in Corinth, and they didn't have anything better to do. Who knows? Loved ones, I can tell you in my own estimation, two of the greatest lies I think the evil one has continually uh, whispered in the ears of the church over, we'll say, the past 30 years is one, that the church and the family is in some kind of competition with each other. Competition for your time and competition for your money and your quality of life. And the evil one would say, don't let the church win. I mean, it's important, but it's not that important. And two, that the local church is the last place where one should, quote, use all their talent. Especially these days, there's so many places to go and so many things you can do. In fact, the evil one could say, and I could hear him easily say this, want to waste your life? Then you devote yourself exclusively to the local church, even one local church. However, clearly, God wants us to know uh, that's a lie, and that certainly wasn't the case for the household of Stephanus. So what we have here this morning is a few words to help us along the way, and the first word is in the text, verse 12, converted. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Okay, Achaia was essentially a country or a region where the city of Corinth was located. And we're told that this family was the very first fruits of the gospel ministry of Paul in that area. They, family, they were in darkness. They were under God's wrath because of their sin. But now as they receive the gospel, by grace, they're forgiven. They're children of God. And as we say a whole lot here, they are clean before God. Not one blemish does he see because of Jesus. Converted. And you can read a bit more of this in Acts 18. And if you do read, what you're going to find is that Paul arrives in the region with a Savior in his heart and a message in his head. He goes right to work. He doesn't try to set up stuff and then do his stuff. He just goes right to work. He begins to evangelize. And he goes to the Jewish synagogue first. And that was his pattern. And after a while, they throw him out of the synagogue. And that was their pattern. 
Before he leaves, he tells them, Acts chapter 18, verse 6, your blood be on your own heads. Now that's not exactly a nice way to leave. But it's exactly what Jesus said to do in the Gospels. He said that when you go to a place and they reject the message, because they weren't rejecting Paul, they're rejecting the message, then you should just say what was said. Paul was not speaking his own message from his own mind, but he was speaking a given message from the mind of Christ. He's only the messenger. He's speaking the truth in love. To reject Paul is really to reject the one who sent Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the synagogue's reaction, this is a kind of opposition and abuse, happens, and so he just leaves them. But he doesn't leave the region. Paul then, in obedience to Jesus, goes to the Gentiles. In fact, he goes right next door uh, to the synagogue. There's a household, the household of Crispus. And apparently Stephanus was there and he heard the gospel. And by grace, he and his household receives the gospel. Paul then baptizes him. And Paul didn't baptize a whole lot of people in Corinth. He kind of stayed away from that. But he did baptize Stephanus. And the rest, as they say, is history. And some of that history we have here in these verses. And by the way, just as a brief aside, isn't this the great encouragement to keep on keeping on in gospel work and gospel preaching because God has purpose in this, right? He told Paul, Acts chapter 18, verse 10, don't be afraid in Corinth. Don't lose your courage because I have many people in this city. Many people are going to hear the gospel and many people by grace and through faith, they're going to believe the gospel. Now, how great is that? You know, one group wants to kick your tail and the other group wants to know your savior, So that is the great encouragement for all of us to keep preaching, to keep evangelizing, to keep connecting with people as many of you do. Why? Because God has purposes and plan to save people. He has many people in Cohasset and Grand Rapids and Reamer and Deer River and on and on. Preaching, dialoguing, connecting. That's God's means. Consequently, Stephanus' family... And their life was changed due to the fact that Paul kept on keeping on. He didn't leave Corinth, the first sign of trouble, the first sign of rejection. Rather, chapter 15, verse 58, you see that there? He gave himself fully to the work of the Lord. And because Paul was faithful, God was pleased to save. Converted. That's our first word, converted. Can I ask you, uh, do people know of your household as a converted household? If you took a survey in your community, would they say, They're Christians who live there. And if people needed some help and they needed to know about Jesus, would your household, would my household be one of the households that they'd come to? Converted. Second word, devoted. The household of Stephanus, verse 15 there, have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now, the word devotion or devoted in the Greek is the Greek word tasso. And it means to arrange, to assign, to set in order and in place. Moffat says, this family laid themselves out to serve the saints. In other words, listen carefully. The household of Stephanus lived their life, ordered their life under the arrangement that their service and their ministry to the saints in their local church was going to be their priority. Everything they did, everything that came into their life, was always in submission to the service of the saints in the local church. They dedicated their life, they arranged their life, so that the service of the saints in the church was first, was central. Everything else had to bow to that. So clearly this household understood some things about their conversion. 
They understood that the conversion wasn't just the beginning and the end. It was everything. Paul had stayed in Corinth for 18 months. He preached to them and taught to them the whole counsel of God. And so as they continued on in Christ, the family began to understand that their conversion was the pathway to genuine lasting blessing. Now, why do I say that? Because Jesus said that. Jesus said squarely, he said, okay, do you want to be great? I mean, who doesn't want to be great? You want to be great? Okay, here's the key. You ready? Serve. Serve the people. Greatness is service. So they understood that they had Christian privileges to enjoy and they enjoyed them. But they also understood they had responsibilities to perform. Not to be converted. Not to kind of move up the ladder of Jesus loving me. None of that foolishness. No, not to be converted. But because they were converted. In other words, now that this family was converted, it was not an option for them to be devoted. It was only natural for them to be devoted. Right? Now think of it this way. If you've had the privilege of saying, I do in marriage. Or it's coming. Okay? After the wedding... You know, when you get your I do and you go out the door, you weren't wondering, wondering about what you should do next. At least I hope you weren't, right? You pretty much knew. You didn't say, well, honey, I'm going to hang out with my parents for the rest of the day. See you when I see you. Okay? You didn't do that. You didn't say, well, glad that's done. High five. See you later. No. You knew that in your marriage there were privileges to enjoy and responsibilities to do as long as you both shall live. Because after you said, I do, your life changed and you became hopelessly devoted to each other. Hopelessly devoted. In other words, this devotion wasn't an option, but it was just now an understandable obligation. And loved ones, this is what a genuine conversion brings. An understandable obligation to the work of the Lord. And specifically here, verse 15, to the saints in the church. Isn't that verse 15? Isn't that what was taking place? Indeed, when you show me a person who is truly converted in time, we will all see a person who is completely devoted to the saints and to the ministry of the saints in the local church. Now, loved ones, there's just one gospel. And the gospel declares the saving power of Jesus. And it also declares the kingship of Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Do a cool thing. Go through the New Testament and see how many times that title is used. Lord Jesus Christ. King Jesus, the Savior. So we can't have any of this kind of muddle-headed, okay, do I want the conversion package or do I don't want the diversion and devotion package, right? Okay, I'll just go with the conversion package, okay? Hell is eliminated, heaven is promised, but beyond that, I can pretty much do what I want. But, you know, I'm a serious kind of fella, so I'll take the conversion and devotion package, which will involve much more commitment on my part, but you know what? It's up to me, and I choose that package. Aren't you really happy with me now, Jesus? You see, that's silly, When we get our new nature in our conversion, in part, that new nature is a devoted nature just like Jesus Christ. Now, how do you know that? Because you can't say that kind of stuff and then just say, okay, let's go on to the next point. How do we know? Well, we know because the Bible tells us so. So the question I had as soon as I read this verse is, okay, this household of Stephanus, when they became Christians and they devoted themselves to the service of the saints, was this normal Christianity or was this exceptional Christianity? Which one was it? Was it normal or was it exceptional? Okay, so I opened my Bible and I tried to answer it. First thing I did was turn to Acts chapter 2 verse 41 and following around there. Okay, Peter preaches the very first post-ascension sermon at Pentecost. God saves 3,000 plus souls. Each of those souls are filled with the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. Filled with Jesus Christ. And then it says this, Acts chapter 2 verse 42. 
that these people devoted, there's that word, they devoted themselves to the, the teaching of the Bible, to the people of God, to prayer and to sacrament. It's church. They devoted themselves, they congregated together, and they devoted themselves to each other. A bit later on in chapter 4, we find that there were believers in the church who poured out their lives in such a way that when people in the church needed something, they would sell their personal possessions to meet other people's personal needs. They were serving each other. Chapter 8, they get kicked out of Jerusalem. What do they do? Well, they keep telling people about Jesus. They begin to congregate in all the places where Jesus puts them. And they do the same thing there, wherever they were at, that they did in Jerusalem. There's more examples, but we'll just leave it there. So clearly the New Testament standard, the witness is that when Jesus saves somebody, he becomes everything. He's not an add-on. He's everything. Huge difference. Verse 15b, devotion to the saints in that local church. Okay, now stay with me now. So that's pretty clear. At least I think it's pretty clear. Okay, but I said to myself, okay, now I need some rational lines of thinking to help me. All right? Because I want to keep the fire burning of this kind of devotion in my service to the saints. How's that going to happen? Right? How's that going to happen? Right? You know, the world that we live in, Johnny Cool Ray is just dropping pictures on his uh, social media about every two weeks. He's going to this place and that place. He's going to the chili cook-off. He's going to the Grand Canyon. His weekends are just filled with stuff. And here I am here. What's that all about? Am I just wasting my time week by week here? And I'm sure many of you ask that question. I can't go there because I'm going to serve here. So I said, let's get some answers. Paul made it clear, chapter 15, verse 58 in Corinthians, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, when our heart is right and the work is actually the work of the Lord, we'll never have to say and we'll never have to think in our devotion, well, that was a waste. We'll never say that in the work of the Lord, doing it his way. The work of the Lord will always mean something. Do you know anything else like that? And then chapter 3, Paul tells the church that our labor for the Lord, when we do the Lord's work, the Lord's way, it's going to be judged on the last day. So all of a sudden, the work becomes really, really important to me. Chapter 3, verse 13, the day will bring it to light. So our work, our devotion will be measured and tested. And if our labor in the Lord, for the Lord passes the test, we will be rewarded. So, stay with me. Our labor will be tested. It will be rewarded. And yet still, it will never be wasted. Now, I like that. So the New Testament begins to give a pretty clear picture of conversion and devotion are wrapped up in the same package. And then the New Testament gives me great rational reasons inherent in my devotion to the saints in the local church. And one of those reasons is rewards. And there is no shame in this. We work hard. We are devoted because our master, he beckons us. Our master gave himself up for us. Our master loves us and our master is our friend and he is working his purposes out. And this is unbelievable. He's working his purposes out through our service to one another. And we will be rewarded for all eternity. Now you stay with me. We just got through watching the Olympics. I think tonight will be the closing ceremony. I'm not sure. It's pretty cool to watch the people do what they do. And the guys who do really well and the ladies who do really well, they go up to the platform and they get a little bit of glory, but it will not last. It'll be for a moment. 
maybe even just a lifetime. Now, let me ask you this question in light of that. Is there anything that we could devote ourselves to, that we could arrange our lives for, which can offer eternal reward and eternal glory? Not none of this momentary stuff, but eternal? What's the answer? There's only one thing, and I think we know that answer. It's service, the Lord's work, the Lord's way, to the Lord's people, and the Lord's church. Now, verse 14 helps us a bit here. I hope you see it if your Bible is open. Paul tells us that there is to be this all-prevailing element of love marking everything that we do for the believers. In other words, in our devotion towards other believers, love has to season everything, right? So we can't serve just because, you know, we want to um, move up the ladder in the church and all that silly stuff. No, love has to be our motivation and and. God's word defines what love is. Because we need to know that the kind of love that Jesus is declaring to his people will be marked by something and it's what marked the household of Stephanas. In fact, listen to Jesus. This is John chapter 15 around verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, got that. Now Jesus, tell me what that love looks like. This is what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Therefore, one of the great evidences, if not the greatest evidence, that our lives have been transformed by God's grace in Jesus is is love. And this love is not the kind of, you know, ooey-gooey, fresh and fruity, love your brother, love your sister kind of love. No, this love is laying down my life for my friends, for my brothers and sisters in the church, in Christ. Now, who says that? Jesus says that. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life. He puts aside his ambitions. He puts aside his freedom. He puts aside his plans for his friends. Now, loved ones, What was the household of Stephanus known for? Verse 15 again. They devoted themselves to the servants' service of the saints. What is the one word Jesus himself would say? This is is what that household is known for. Love. Defined as what? According to Jesus, they laid down their life week by week for others. Now I want you to see that. Please tell me that you do. So, so when Jesus saved them, they didn't jump to the front of the line. They got to the back of the line and they served other believers in the local church. J.B. Phillips puts it like this. They made up their mind to devote their lives to serving others. There was a poem that I read right before I left um, for a vacation. Their life wine was spilt on the altar of sacrifice. It's beautiful, right? So what this family did, in essence, if you would, they imposed upon themselves a duty, a self-imposed duty. They arranged their life so the saints in the local church was their pleasure to serve as a priority. A self-imposed duty motivated by love as the family's priority so that the whole church can benefit. Now let me ask you this question. Do you have any self-imposed duties? Something that's there that you're committed to On your part, a self-imposed duty in your Christian walk to other saints, right? Is there anything there that you're tied to that you you have given yourself a self-imposed duty or do you just do things when you feel like it? 
I'm serious now. Are you bound by anything to the local church because you put on yourself this duty and you've given yourself to it? Or do you just do things when it fits? Or, you know, if there's a good sermon and you're kind of manipulated and pressured and you just say, well, I'm going to do better for a little while. Or you feel down and you want to feel better, so you, you throw yourself in for a little bit and you feel better and that's good and then you're on your way. See, self-imposed duty. Christian freedom is the freedom to enslave yourself to duty. Now, who says that? Well, this is the Bible, Galatians 5.13. It's absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. You see what Paul's saying? Don't use your freedom to be free. Use your freedom to serve others in love. Now, those of us who grew up in the church, we had our children's lessons. And one of the lessons they would pound in our heads, I bet, was, okay, kids, remember, God first, others second, yourselves last. Right? You remember those lessons? Now, were they trying to run some kind of con game, you know, to keep the kids in line? And then when you became adults or you turned a certain age, then you could just set all that silly stuff aside? Is that, is that what they were doing? You see, do we have any self-imposed duties tied to our brothers and sisters in the church, which we are committed to? If we only serve the saints when we feel like it, I guarantee you, you probably never will. And we need to move on. But you see the last word of the last sentence of verse 15, full sentence, it's saints. When I read that word, it tells me that when I, when we dedicate our lives to the serving of the people of God in this local church, it might as well be Jesus Christ himself. Right? Church is the body of Jesus Christ. Saints are people, holy people, called just like Jesus, set aside just like Jesus. So you see the household here, they weren't looking for prominence They weren't looking for position. I mean, they were looking for Jesus. And they saw Jesus when they saw the saints in need in the local church. And they began to serve him. And that makes good sense to me. Very rational argument of why this verse makes sense for every one of us here, beginning with myself, to apply in our lives. The July 4th weekend of Sunday weekend, I think July 4th was on a Monday. I think that whole weekend, I remember looking out my window on a Sunday and I was here before everybody else and I just peeked and I began to see the people who set things up Sunday morning by Sunday morning here. And to be honest with you, I mean, it was the dead of summer and and they just looked so tired. They look so tired and I want to run out there and give everybody a kiss on the forehead and, and hugs and say, it's okay. You're not wasting your time here. This matters. This matters. I didn't do that. I probably should. Maybe next time I will. Devoted. Devoted. Third word, submitted. Verse 15 and 16. I urge you brothers to submit to such as these. In other words, Paul is saying these are the kind of people you should listen to. This is servant leadership at its best. Now in Corinth, I mean the church there, were, they were fighting for their rights, they were fighting for their privileges, and they're fighting for their voices to be heard. Paul says you should be fighting for the right to serve and submit to the likes of Stephanus and his whole family. 
And if you think about that, that immediately challenges our notion of, of uh, leadership in the contemporary church, right? We, we, what do we do? We tend to look for the people who are well-educated, people who have some notoriety, who tend to be the smartest ones in the room, that think on their feet, titles, strong personalities, can really tell people what to do. I mean, that's all the worldly stuff. So what do we have here in the Bible? We have the exaltation of service to others as the benchmark of good leadership. Just like Jesus. That's what he said when he walked this earth. If you're going to be great, if you're going to lead people, then you better be willing to get down on your hands and knees and wash their feet. And so we have a principle here. It's a principle for every local church. Solid leadership will come from people who give themselves to serving the saints in that local church. Their entire life for the saints in that local church context. I'll stay late for you. Let me do that for you. I got this one. I'm going to help you. That was the household of Stephanus. To labor. See the word there at 16? Labor. Kopiaio is the Greek word. Exhaustion. Fatigue. Spent. Submit to them, Paul says. Place yourself under them and to everyone like them who joins in the work. We have a lot of those people and a lot of those families here at West Cohasset Chapel. In fact, I bet most of us can name them right now. My, life, my wife last month was serving in children's church and, and she was helped by a lovely young lady here. She's about a tween age. And my wife told me about what this young lady did in the, as her helper and the way she spoke and the way she was so gracious and she was wise with the kids. And I think I told my wife, tell me that story again. And probably like three times. Tell me again. Tell me again. I was refreshed. That was verse 18. She had the heart of Jesus Christ. That's how service is supposed to go. And, and listen carefully. Jesus tells me that there has to be a part of me which submits to her at that age and those like her. And that's household, right? If he would have said submitted to Siphonus, he would have said submit to Siphonus. He said the household. This, is, this young lady was wearing the garment of humility, one Peter 5, the apron of sacrificial service to the saints. And now you listen to her. First word converted, second word devoted, third word submitted, final word refresh. Paul says, I urge you brothers and sisters to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such people, that's why that's so important, not just men, such people, the context there, they deserve recognition. So what Paul was saying was, is these people refreshed me. They, they made me so happy. They gave me new energy. They inspired me, Right? When you see that kind of stuff happen in a local church, you say, all this Jesus stuff is true. All this love stuff is true. This I care about you stuff, it's all true. Because they're actually doing it week by week by week. And I don't always have to be on for you, for you to help me. And yeah, they're doing it for Jesus, but you know, they're doing it for me too. And that was the family 
the household of Stephanus. And Paul says, those kind of people, that kind of family, they need to be known, and they need to be honored, and they need to be looked up to. Now stay with me. By and large, Jill, who works the nursery, first service, so she can worship in the second service, by and large, in contemporary Christianity, she'll never make the copy of Christianity today. She won't be asked to come and speak to the conference. Right? Johnny Coolray will be asked. Mr. Hero will be asked. Susie Superstar, she'll be asked. But Jill, who for years now had been giving herself to the service of the saints, she won't be recognized. That should bother you. It bothers me. This kind of celebrity Christianity, superstar, super this, super that. The one thing that probably they're not doing week by week. Serving the saints in a local church. We need Jill's. We need Johnny's. And we need to sit down with our kids if we have them. Or we need to sit down with ourselves. And we need to say this. Verse 18. Six, yeah, 18. Watch them, kids. Watch how they're serving. Watch what they're doing. Recognize them. Follow them. And again, not to be unkind, but we tend to see, oh, wow, they look so great. Superstar guy, superstar girl. That's the one we'll follow. But Jill in the nursery, who's wiping bottoms for Jesus, will she get recognized? Paul says she should. She should. One morning while I was on vacation, we'll close with this, I woke up to the smell of bacon. Walked into the kitchen, I sat on a chair at the table. Didn't say a word. I felt like I was five years old again. My mother-in-law's cooking breakfast. <laughs> she made my plate. She poured my juice. And she said, I hope you like this. Refreshed. Refreshed. And such people, people like that, people like many of you here, they deserve recognition. There are so many things a family, a couple can give themselves to in this modern world. But there is nothing better and nothing more lasting and nothing more pleasing to God than devoting themselves to the servants of the saints in the local church the body of Jesus Christ. Don't you love the church? Don't you love the church? Jesus does. He gave up himself for it. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the clarity of the word and the certainty of it. When the mind is right and the words are correct, the heart leaps or the conscience is condemned. We thank you that those of us in Christ, we have a place to take our sin and leave it there and enjoy fresh forgiveness and enjoy renewed love. And so, Father, wherever we are in this scale of devoting ourselves to the service of the saints, will you please help everyone, beginning with myself, to be even better, to be glad that we're tied to a local church, to see her as precious and beautiful and as you see her, the body of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. 
And don't let us fall for the lies that we tell ourselves, perhaps, or even the lies of the evil one that would say, this is wasted. It doesn't matter. It does. And it will for all eternity. Jesus, thank you for your great, great love for us. May we be pleased to serve you for the rest of our days. In your holy name we pray. Amen.